The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan and now back to the podcast hi everyone you are listening to judging Megan with your host Megan judge today I usually tell a story in the beginning but I'm just going to go right into it I am so deeply honored to have my guest today Tara Newell. She is a survivor. She's best known from the Dirty John series on Bravo. Um, They portrayed her real life story and her mother's story. So we're going to get into that. She's also a life coach and a podcaster, and she actually started her own podcasting course. So I'd love to know about that. Um, But I am so honored to have you on today. So thank you so much for coming on, Tara. Thank you so much for having me. We've all been put here for a reason, and we all deserve acceptance. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age, and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud and have been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. From recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening to Judging Megan. Um, I'm going to start here. So I've, I've been doing this podcast since 2020. I Many of my listeners know I've brought up the Dirty John case in the past because my mom was married. I always like to say my mom was married to the original Dirty John. Okay. So that's something that it's just crazy to kind of be in a full circle moment meeting you and talking to you and having you on today. Um, because when I watched the series that was on Bravo, I could relate to not like not a lot of the like it's a totally separate story, but just that personality and that the traits that I saw in in John, um, were very similar to my own experience with my stepfather. And so as I watched it, I just, you know, it kind of brought, brought me back to my childhood and things that I went through. And so I just want you to know how many, I know so many women, I have a friend I was talking to earlier today, how many lives you've touched by your bravery and to piggyback on that, uh, my last guest, so if you go back to my last podcast, uh, Talia Landman mentions you. And so that's kind of the connection on how I got you on today. Um, and how you really take what happened to you and the trauma of what happened to you and you help other people with it. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate that because that's what I try to do with my story in my life is, you know, your trauma doesn't define you. It's just a chapter. It's a part of your life, but it's what you do with that trauma and how you help other people. So 
when Talia said in the podcast, if my listeners listened, she talks about how nobody would go to court with her. You know, people got afraid. They kind of backed out um, because she, if you haven't listened to that episode, was attacked by a mentally ill homeless man who's now currently back on the streets. Although the update is, if you listen to that last episode, he he's in jail until I believe December. So that's what I think the up, the most current update is, but she's still trying to relocate. So I just wanted to say that before we kind of get into your story for my listeners that might not be familiar and tell you how very, very appreciative I am of well, what you've you. done with your life. You are so, so welcome. So, I just appreciate Talia saying that and you know, hearing that, I get a little bit emotional because I love her and you never want anyone to go through any type of situation. Mm-hmm. Just, just to make you feel better. I cry pretty much every podcast. So you're, you're welcome. It's a, it's a safe space to cry. Perfect. Um, so let's kind of, for my listeners that might not are not familiar with your story, we're, we're going to go into this story. So what I will tell you is, um, you, they, they made what happened to your mother and your family into a Bravo series, which aired, I believe what, like three years ago. I don't, I can't remember, but I remember it so perfectly well. I believe it was 2018, 19. I, I believe it was 18 or 19. That's so like cr- it was before COVID. Okay. Yes. Okay. So you, I'm going to have you kind of share your story if you're comfortable with that, um, because I know you've obviously shared it many times, but for my listeners, um, one of the most important things to me with doing this podcast is to never share these stories as, and I know with your own podcast, it's not to re-victimize the victims. It, and it's to be in a safe space, but it's also really just to help people and bring light to what kind of people there are on this planet, sadly, and what you need to watch out for. And my my own mother was a victim of that. My siblings and I are victims of that. And um, my stepfather is no longer on the planet. But... I think that that's a really important thing that I know that when you do your own podcast, that that's something that I, I noticed that is important to both you and your co-host. Am I correct on that? A hundred percent. And it's really important to not re-traumatize them in any way, even though I know they are going to feel some type of way after telling their story because I do too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's important to do that self-care and that recovery. And I may probably be like that nagging mom that's like, well, I always gauge off of the person. I'm in, depending on how close I am to them. If I'm closer to them, I'm like, make sure you're doing your self-care after, you know, mm-hmm. do you need anything? Um, I'm here for you. But otherwise, you know, people are also professionals in a sense. And then they come on, share their story. They know how to recover and they know how to move through it. And those people are like me in a sense, but I still get, you know, there's that little aftermath of each time you tell a story, maybe something comes up that you may not have remembered in a while or -hmm. remembered at all. And it's like each time you tell it, even seven years later, I'm piecing stuff together still. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And it makes sense because every time you never know like what mood you're going to be in too in a day. Right. So one day you could share your story, be totally fine. I go on other podcasts sometimes and I'll start crying and other days it won't even affect me. So let's start with how, how do you call him dirty John? I don't know if you, what you call him by name. I mean, I guess I refer to him to Dirty John. I refer to him more so as John Meehan. Okay. Okay. Uh, Just because that's how I knew him originally. And 
Tanya is really the one to give credit for like the dirty John name, his ex-wife. But I'm not going to lie, like when you're putting your stuff out there on social media, no one really knows my name, but they know Dirty John's name. So that's why I have to do the hashtags and stuff to get stuff seen and across for survivors. Yes. Okay. So your mother, this is just because I've watched the series. So as we all know, TV and film can be, you know, they can dramatize things. So that's why I think it's so important to have somebody come on and tell the real stories because just like, you know, my therapist that I've had on was married to the Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort, and they did a movie about it. Um, her, a lot of the things in the movie that are portrayed are not, they're not correct. They're not accurate. So okay. I, think it's, I think it's important to always hear the real story and not the embellished story. So John came into your mother's life. She was, she was divorced and she was in the dating scene and we'll start there. Yes. And she met him on this website called our time. It was for people dating over a certain age. And so she met him there and it became really this romance that was fast moving, fast paced. Um, he doted on her. He just was so loving. And well, it was really interesting because their first date, like it went so well. And then she brought him back to her place, like not thinking anything is going to happen. My mom's not that type of person. Mm -hmm. And so he jumped on her bed, was just kind of in it. Yeah. <laughs> and that made her uncomfortable. So she asked him, please get off my bed. And he didn't react well to that. He actually got mad at her and left. And that was her first date with him. And then she goes maybe like a day later, a couple days later, she gets a call from him. He apologizes to her and he asked her for another chat, another chance. And so she gives him another chance. And then from there, everything is just perfect in her eyes. And the only thing is he's not getting along with my sister at this point. My sister is just saying there's something wrong about him, saying that he is a cheater, that he's seen other girls. And my mom thinks that my sister's making this all up because mm -hmm. my sister has had issues with her past relationships. Okay. And so, yeah. How, how quickly, um, I know in the TV show, he it seems like he moved in really quickly. How quickly did your sister meet him? She met him on that first date because he oh, came wow. to pick up my mom at the apartment. And he came in, he looked around, and my sister was like, he's sizing up everything up. So she had a bad feeling right away. Oh, yes. Okay. Because I know that that is something that, people feel like I lost my dad to cancer. So we were so freaked out about my mom dating again. So I think that if you're a child of somebody that either you've lost a parent or your parents have gotten divorced, I think it's really common where kids are, you know, not open and maybe suspicious. And especially if your mom had been in other relationships, that makes sense that she was probably like that. Yeah, and these relationships, the guys, literally, one of the guys took alimony from my mom. They were married only two years, didn't have kids together, and his claim was he lost out on the job market. And then I find out later in life, I one of my friends is friends with his stepdaughter, and she's living a nice life. She's able to go to like Pelican Hill Country Club, this, that. She had her baby shower at, you know, the Beverly Hills Hotel. And it's like he took from us to give mm -hmm. to another family. 
even though we had to struggle, struggle, we even lost that house. And so these were the guys that we were accustomed to. We were accustomed to the guys that were trying to take all the money from my mom and leave us with nothing. So she had a history, and they kind of touch on this in the show, of meeting bad men that target rich women, right? Yes. Or women of means, correct? Yes. Yes. And, you know, my mom is a good person. She's sweet. She's loving. She's empathetic. And so that really draws in these types of characters. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. not to mention, she grew up with a very, very fundamentalist Christian background. And so I think that that also has something to do with it where you always have to be agreeable to the men. You know, you, if a man looks at you and lusts after you, it's your fault. And you know, that toxicity of the purity culture in a sense, and not saying everyone should go out and do it or anything, but saying like to put these parameters and say like, you can't, sleep with your husband until marriage that's really putting parameters on like that shame and that guilt around it and so celibacy is great for people Mm -hmm. underage you know people trying to figure it out but there shouldn't be like laws or rules around it i i agree i also think that there's a whole a whole there's a a lot of men sadly um, on the planet that target women, you know, it happened to my own mom and, you know, had lost my dad and knew my mom had financial means. And there, there's a lot of sadly narcissists on this planet. And this isn't a one-off situation. I think that when people hear your story or hear your mom's story, they there's a lot of women out there that can relate to what happened to your mom. Yeah, no. And, you know, I think it that's just one of the aspects of her story, for say, is mm-hmm. that religious aspect. And that's really common in just any type of religion is there's these people hiding in these uh, wolves clothes, for say, if you want to, like, get technical with the Bible. And these people pretend to be someone that they're not and they thrive on that community. So they want to be in these communities with these great people, these loving people who are so accepting of other people too. So, you know, they're coming in for good people and these people that are trying to be good. And then these ones are the ones more so making the rules, establishing that toxicity and preying on the women. And then it happens to so many others, whether you believe in God or not, or believe in spiritual spirituality or not. Any belief is like they see that niche, they see that loving person and they prey on that person. Okay. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, it's a very common story. So your sister was the first one met him right away, started having feeling bad feelings about it. Um, and was telling your mom what, like, why are you dating him? Um, what was going on then? So she was telling my mom that she thinks something is up, that he's dating other women, that he is a, basically a grifter and that he's just trying to get involved in the finances and everything. So my mom was going to therapy and my mom didn't have great boundaries with us. So the therapist was telling her, put boundaries up with your kids. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely agree that the therapist should do that. It's just a bad situation it wasn't the situation to put boundaries up per se but so my mom moves into a different place with him and at first she's claiming like oh I'm not moving in with him like he's just staying here a lot he lives in Cathedral City in the desert and also he lost all his stuff he would have to drive to his apartment blah 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 you know So it was making sense, like, okay, I guess he's staying here. And then I helped them move. 
And I only saw my mom's stuff during that time. And then I went back a week later to help my mom um, with Thanksgiving and to be there for Thanksgiving. And that's when I saw his stuff in the closet just because it was in the room that I was staying in. Mm -hmm. And then that rose more suspicions of like, oh, like you say he's not living here, but here's his stuff. And then I went into her bathroom to get a Q-tip and then I see his stuff everywhere in there too. So I'm like, something's not right here. It's not adding up. He's definitely living here. Did you get, cause we didn't mention your feeling with him when you first met him. So do so you, did you meet him early on as well? Did you get like a bad gut feeling about him? So I met him two months into the relationship, right when they were moving into the Balboa place, I drove okay. down from Vegas to help them move. And I saw him first without my mom because he was helping put a mattress on top of the van and it said Ambrosia Interior Design and that's my mom's company. So I'm like, oh, there he is. (laughs) And so he just seemed kind of cold, not really warm and fuzzy, but we were also moving. So I figured like, oh, he's just focused on moving and My boyfriend at the time tried to help him, but my boyfriend at the time also broke his one arm, so he wasn't that helpful. So, you know, he could have also been like, why are you trying to help me with a broken arm, dude? Um, Mm -hmm. And then we moved stuff. I would ask him questions, and then the questions he, or the answers he would give me are closed-ended answers. So I wouldn't get much from him in a sense. And then he never really asked me questions back. So it was kind of like you realized there was something off as well. Are you and your, or were you and your sister at this time close? Had you been talking to each other and saying like, watch out for him? Has she given you any kind of info on him? So she was giving me warnings about him. However, I was telling myself I'm going to go into this with an open mind. I'm going to have my perspective for myself. And so I didn't want her view to taint it because I also knew, hey, like my sister can be a bit much at times and go up after my mom about these guys. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Did, did, in the movie or the t- the TV, I keep saying movie, the TV show, they showed him really wooing your mom because that's what these guys do, right? Like making her the smoothie every day, oh, doing yes. all of those things. Was that real? Was that really going on? Oh, yes. He was definitely love love bombing her. He was uh-huh. doing these little things. He was carrying her purse for her everywhere. And it's funny because my boyfriend will carry my purse for me sometimes and I have to remind myself like he's not a narcissist he's doing Mm -hmm. it because he's different and he's kind (laughs) no you know what you bring up a really good point because that is your trauma and I mean this this is coming from me I've been in therapy for years as I'm sure you have as well and we make these connections to the trauma from our past right I mean that's common so if it's something like sometimes So growing up, I'll give you an example that happened to me. Um, My stepfather, so I had an eating disorder for many years in my my teens and 20s. And I was very conscious of the refrigerator. So when I would open the refrigerator um, to look for food, um, I would kind of get anxious or like think way too much about it. And my stepfather, I call him, um, he was a monster, would come up behind me and clear his throat. And he knew that I struggled with eating. Like he knew that I struggled with food. And so um, he would kind of clear his throat and go, and to this day, I, I, freak out if my husband I've been married we're very happily married thank god for years but I snap at him if he comes behind me in the kitchen and like I'm going to a refrigerator I it brings it all back so when you when you give that example and for my listeners that might be listening um who have maybe been in a trauma bond or some kind of trauma 
with a male parental figure or male, like any kind of partner, anything like that. This is a very common thing that I think that people go through. And it could be as simple as the bag, like you said, like carrying a bag. Mine is just my husband coming in the kitchen and being behind me, you know? So, so I had to touch on that real quick because I think that's very common. Yeah, no, and these triggers will happen and you'll be mm-hmm. like, why am I reacting this way? However, it's your body is remembering that memory and then mm-hmm. remembering that trauma. And so then you have to check in and pay attention. Like, how am I doing right now? How am I feeling? Where am I feeling this tension in my body? That's good that you do that. I mean, that that means that you're really doing like on the journey of recovery. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still not a hundred percent there. And that just means, I mean, I think that therapy and all different kinds of therapy could, can be a lifelong process. And it, it is for whoever, what kind of therapy you do, whether it be talk, EMDR, whatever it is, it's different for everybody. But going back to, um, what you were saying. So you were saying that, you know, carrying the purses, the smoothies kind of, love bombing her, as you said, this was all like textbook narcissist. Like he had, he was on a mission, correct? A hundred percent. He was on a mission. He was going to get her, isolate her was the next move in a sense. And that's why he wasn't being so nice to us. And then we were also the ones buzzing in my mom's ear saying, something's not right. Something's not right. So of course he wants to get us away. And then, so Mm -hmm. I ended up getting into a yelling argument with him because I was talking to my mom. It was the day before Thanksgiving. And in this yelling argument, I basically say like some FUs to him. Mm -hmm. And he says to me, Tara, you just want your mom's money. You just want your mom to yourself. And I say, no, John, that's what you want. And a lot more, but those are the things that I can remember because otherwise I disassociated it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I ended up packing up my stuff and that was really the last time I saw him even before my attack. Okay. How, how long was the total relationship? I know I'm kind of skipping all over the place, but how long were they actually together? So they got together... Um, November, so September 2014, they moved in to the Balboa place, um, no, like late November, 2014. And then they got married. I believe it was like early December, 2014. And then she left him March, 2014. 15 March 7th 2015 the first time um stayed away from him for like a few months then he was able to convince her to get back together with her him and bring her to different lawyers and whatnot and then she left him again on March 7th 2016 so this was a like an in all reality, this is a short period of time. I mean, that's not very long. That's a couple of years. But yes. during that time, he was planning to take her to the cleaners, get rid of you guys. The rest of your family was involved as well, correct? Like your grandmother, is that all accurate? Yes, but my grandmother loved him. Okay. Like my grandmother is just like a sweet person and she is so like oh you gotta have a husband you gotta have a husband that kind of mentality and so she was like oh Deb like I don't want you to separate you know my grandma was like that my grandma Mm -hmm. wasn't like oh these are some dangerous things that he's doing like, oh, hopefully you guys could work it out. That was my grandma's mentality. But the thing is, is your mom was probably so conflicted. And this is her own story of being, you know, 
confused because he was obviously manipulating her and feeding her like lies and information. And then obviously she loves her kids, but there's a history there as well. And then the history of her her childhood and how she grew up and the generational thing where women were taught, you know, stick it out, stay in this relationship. It's not so bad. So it makes sense that she kind of found herself really torn and confused. Yeah. And you know, the brain is telling you everything to go back to that guy. The brain is telling you that you're addicted, like that relationship as if it were cocaine Mm-hmm. So you're addicted to that relationship in the end because you're like in that trauma bond. And so it's not that easy to leave. It's not that easy to just get out and leave. And, you know, especially when you have finances and I forget who says this. I think it's Dr. Um, Romani, but I believe she says like leaving a normal relationship isn't easy. So imagine leaving one that you're bonded to. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D, designed for serious allergy suffering. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. And there's probably, there's also an element of fear in women. You know, I'm, I have very close friends that have gone through really horrific things and can't get out and are afraid to get out. This is a universal thing where women feel trapped. They're afraid of like what will happen financially, especially if they were already in a situation where somebody took them to the cleaners. So this all makes sense. When did you, in this, in the relationship, when did your mom f- the first time like leave him? Cause in the show and I keep going back to the show, but I like to clarify for my listeners and for pe- for people that might've watched the show, what's real and what's not here. What, what was he doing? Was he stealing from her right away or was it fairly quick? I, I think in the show he was pretending like he had a job and he was a doctor and all this stuff. So tell me about that. Oh, my gosh. I even forgot what else he would do. So things would go missing during this time. And my mm-hmm. mom would contact my sister and I and be like, do you know where this went? Do you know where my gift cards went? A lot of them are missing. And we're just like, no, we haven't been to your house or seen you even in a minute. So how are, mm-hmm. how are they even missing from us? And I think maybe that's one of the things he would even tell her is like, oh, probably your daughters, you know. And that further was trying to create that divide. 
So she left him the first time because our family hired a private investigator and found out information on him that he was using different social security card numbers to um, get like different nursing certificates or something like that. He was selling drugs or just going to all these doctors' offices. Um, he had a really large rap sheet. He had um, past restraining orders on him. He had um, all these things on him. So we brought that to my mom, and then she ended up leaving him that first time. She moved everything out at the Balboa house. She rented it to someone else. Um, my dad helped her out with that. And then we thought she was done for the first, but then I also had a feeling like, Oh, she might go back. Yeah. I mean, it's, it sounds like she was kind of living in fear. Was he, was he stalking her during those times when she left him the first time? I don't know if it was the first time when he stalked her. Mm -hmm. We don't have any evidence that he was stalking her the first time at all. It was actually, I believe he got angry, but then he also went to trying to make it all better and going to a sweet place and telling her like, oh, all these other John Meehans are not me. And he actually brought her to a lawyer that explained that all these things that we found were not him mm -hmm. because he had lawyers in his pocket. So, but he was an addict, correct? Were these he, people that were in her, like he had some kind of agreements with that were lying for him? So I don't know necessarily what kind of agreements he had with them because those people will never say. Um, however, he would get lawyers disbarred if it didn't go his way. And he was successful in that. So these some lawyers were scared of him for that. And I do know that he threatened um, one of my mom's lawyers, Michael... I forget his Michael O'Neill. He threatened him. And then Michael O'Neill was just like, I'm not going to take this literally. I'm not going to be scared of him. I'm going to help her out. Which is really brave because they do talk about that and kind of portray that he was a bully and he was going, he would go after people and not let up. So it seemed it, it makes sense that probably he had a history where people just wanted to wash their hands of him and as you know, in life, you know, people, I think there's a, I hate to say there's more bad than good people, but I think people get afraid for their own lives and their own finances and their own families. And they kind of like want to wash their hands of things in order pr to protect themselves. Correct? Yeah. And you know, if someone is bugging you to a certain extent and you have money or you have the means to be like here's $200, just go away. Or, you know, here's $1,000, just go away. Sometimes it's easier to do that than to deal with the reaction from that person, from that mm -hmm. toxic person, because you're thinking, oh, this person might go to the next extent and, you know, key my car, harass people at my office and go further down that line and so sometimes you're like oh I want to throw money at it not saying that my mom did that um she actually tried to do that but then it was too late and that was in the very end in a sense and lawyers her lawyers told her like what are you doing you shouldn't have done that that puts our case even at risk mm-hmm but and, she probably was so afraid of this person at that point, you know, that she was willing to do anything to protect probably herself and you guys. I mean, that's a scary thing, right? Yeah. And she's thinking, like, if this guy really wants money at the end of the day, like, maybe me offering it would help get rid of him. And John was too much of a psychopath to be like oh now this is like a game and now I'm not going to accept the money that I wanted 
going back to his 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 whole history because this like Dirty John like the name now has is pretty significant. Like a lot of women will be like I was or I would even use my own life example. My my I I'm like my stepfather was a Dirty John and just like you probably think like I think my mom's story is my own my own mother's story to tell. So I don't tell on the podcast or with people the full extent of how awful it really was. I can only tell people what I went through. Your story is a little bit different because it was, it was televised. So obviously your mom's okay with this being out there, but how, like, how did it feel to be in a situation where you knew your mom was in, I don't know, was he physically abusive with her? I can't Never remember. physically abusive. Okay. Um, but mentally abusive for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he did say that my mom hit him one time, but that was, that didn't happen. And she was in a different state. So he was, and, and by the way, for my listeners, this was portrayed. Was he homeless at one point or did he always have a residence that was in the trailer park or wherever that was far away? It was like in Palm Springs or you said Cathedral City. So it was in Cathedral City and he had like a trailer park, like a trailer park, like an RV or something there that his sister bought for him um, so that he could have. So when you get out of jail, you have to establish residency somewhere and you have to have somewhere that you are going to. Mm -hmm. And so she set him up with that. And then he she got mad at him because she realized like, oh, you're doing the same stuff that you were doing. You're trying to you know, go on these dating websites again. And how long was his, how long was his rap sheet? I don't remember, Mm -hmm. but I remember the, one of the private investigators had a file of his stuff, like uh, on papers about him. And that was two inches deep. So he had a record of like assault, like a whole history, correct? Yes, but he was able to turn around some situations. So he assaulted this one lady and then he ended up breaking his teeth. And so he turned it around onto her and then he was able to get full veneers uh, with her money. Wow. <laughs> yes. Um, how, when When did it get to the point of where it was really bad? Like you hired the private detective. When were you and your sister and your family, like, really afraid? I was afraid from that moment of, like, Thanksgiving. Oh, the moving with the mattress and all of that. Yeah, you had a bad feeling. Because I got kicked out. We were screamed and yelled at. Like, that's not the first, like, that's not a great impression. Mm -hmm. And then that night, too, um, my sister was getting text messages on her phone in from my mom and it was saying things like, oh, you should go kill yourself. Head first would be preferably. And these messages were adding up from my mom, if that makes sense. And so there would be certain words. I'd be like, that's not her wording. And he would be texting stuff from my from mom's her phone. phone. Yes. Wow. And then I remember times where my mom would be like, oh, I just had to take a sleeping pill because I was so distraught. And so he would give her sleeping pills and then take her phone and do this. I mean, it's just so much. It's so much that you must have been dealing with and feeling so torn because you got you guys couldn't really do anything to get her away which is the worst part that I think you know they don't people don't really understand like being a child of some of and loving your parent but your hands are tied there's only you can only say like so much to make them listen I know in my experience which is nothing compared to yours um we would say to my mom like please and my mom was in this trauma bond and nothing we did 
she would snap her out of it. And it was really painful. It's a really painful thing to feel that way because you yeah. really want to know that you feel safe and protected with your parent. But looking back on this, like years later, you realize that it's not anything that you or I or people that are in these situations could have done differently because it's almost like your parent is being hypnotized. Do you ever feel that way? Oh, a hundred percent because it's like, if you don't get that fix, if you don't get that, um, that dopamine rush, you know, you're not normal. And I understand that. I mean, how many times have I blown off my friends to go hang out with a guy? (laughs) (laughs) It's true. And you're young. You're young. Did this all happen when you were really you? Because you're young now. This must you must have been very young when all of this happened. It was when I was 25. Okay. Well, you look very young. Very, very young. Um, and and like kind of like finish up like what happened. So, and this is the hard part. And I know that, like I said earlier, I hate to bring this part up, but for my listeners that might not be familiar, this is. That this is so important and going back to just the show and what I saw in the show, you were a huge horror fan, correct? Like you had watched all kinds of movies and I just saw on your social media, you went to Universal Horror. What is it? Universal Horror Nights? Yes. Um, so I'm a huge zombie fan. Zombie fan. Okay. I was like, wait, what am I missing? Okay. So you used to watch um, date. What is it? What was the show? I forget now. Uh, The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead. Okay. Yes. And so your mom and John ended up breaking up for the last time, correct? Yes. And then he ended up lighting her car on fire. He took his car that was in my mom's name and he drove it into a gate. And then also his dog ended up getting loose and then he didn't get the dog. So we ended up getting the dog out of the pound from him. And so all these things were happening beforehand. We were getting stalked. We were getting threatened. We were getting um, just like watched. (laughs) Like he was watching you. He was doing drive-bys and stuff. Yeah. And were you living in all together at this time or you were, where were you? So my mom and my sister were living together, and then I was living in uh, the Coronados, which is now 1880 Apartments in Newport Beach. Okay. For my listeners, by the way, so I should have said this in the beginning, this all transpired. So I live in L.A. in the beach cities, and Orange County is like adjacent, so L.A. and then South Bay where I live, and then Orange County. So... um, the so Coronada, all of those places that we've been talking about, Newport, you mentioned Pelican Hill in the beginning. These are all local to the Orange County area. And I should have said that. Yes. <laughs> so you were living in this building on your own, correct? You had a dog? Yes. So I was actually driving home from work um, because I was going to the Jason Aldean concert. I got off work early. And then I pulled up to make gate. My dog started barking. I saw this guy. He looked kind of homeless. So I just told my dog to knock it off. And then I pulled into my parking spot that I normally park at. They're not a sign, but I just am a creature of habit. And I got out. He grabbed me by my waist, looked me in the eyes and said, do you remember me? And... I didn't answer that. I just tried to run away. I was unable to run away from him. Um, My dog was attacking his ankles. I ended up falling on my shoulder. I was able to kick the knife out of his hand. I got the knife and I started just defending myself. Mm -hmm. And then I killed him like a zombie because that's monkey see, monkey do from The Walking Dead. And then... um, People started showing up, and then the ambulance and the pe- uh, police and everything, and 
then I ended up going to the hospital. Um, and then I was there for like a few days and then started the healing process. <laughs> Tara, had he, he had threatened your life or your mother's life or your sister's life prior, correct? Because he felt like he was that like had given up, correct? And this was, he wasn't going to let you all get away with us. So he never threatened my life per se, but he threatened my sister's and my mom's lives. Okay. I mean, it's one of those things in life. You're like, I don't, when people hear the walking dead, you know, not to make light of this, but it's like, who would have thought like being a fan of a show like that would save your life? That was one of the most crazy things that I remember seeing, but it saved your life along with your dog. Right. Yeah. Um, how, like, I hate to go into like how you felt afterwards, but the, the amount of trauma that that must've caused your mom and your sister and your family, just knowing that what, you know, it's a certain, it's, it's on a certain level to know that somebody is like horrific and stealing and mentally abusive or watching you on cameras or stalking you, but to be physically attacked and somebody's child. And this was somebody that was married to your mom. The amount of guilt that your own, that your mom must've felt after that. I, I can't even imagine where, where, how, how was she after that? Um, I mean, she was in shock as well in her mm -hmm. own way. Uh, we were all processing stuff. And so, I mean, I just had to focus on myself during that time. And do you, after that happened, and then, you know, this, obviously this story was all over the press. Um, I know how the press can be in these kinds of stories. They, they like kind of re-victimize the victim and want to get into like all the details and the questions. Why did you, you as a family decide to come forward and share your story and kind of like make it into a script and sell it? So I wish that was how it happened. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, I don't even know. So, <laughs> so tell me how that happened. Um, so the LA Times contacted us. We actually had lawyers on everything. So my name wouldn't come out. Um, and then we were contacted by Christopher Gothard. My mom talked to me and asked me, is this something you would want to do? Okay. So like thinking back, sorry to interrupt you. It was a podcast, correct? Originally. Yes. Okay. Well, a series of articles it was supposed okay. to be. Yes. Okay. And so they contacted you because they got your name somehow, correct? Uh, yes. They got it from, I believe, like they talked to Matt Murphy and they also talked to Hannah Fry from the Daily Reporter or something like that or the Daily Inquirer or something. Just, you know, I forget the name, but. And so they contacted my mom. They, well, my mom's easily able to you just call her business <laughs> yeah she's so, accessible yeah so they called her business um got in contact with her and then she asked me would you want to do this Tara I thought about it and then I told her sure um I feel like it would help other women so that started the process it was supposed to be a series of articles and then a couple weeks beforehand they actually turned it into a podcast and we had no idea what a podcast even was um so we're like okay great a church sermon and then it really got blown up from there and then we did the live show for the LA Times and then the producer of the show, uh, like Atlas Entertainment was there and he produced Suicide Squad. I was a huge fan of that. And then so that really um, started to talk about the show. And then the LA Times sold the show to um, Bravo for two seasons and really transpired from there. Do you... Now that you're kind of a couple years away from this, 
And obviously in the beginning, we talked about how, you know, some days you have better days than others. And it's, this is a reality. This isn't like a movie. This really happened to you. It's, you know, this is a horrific story, very painful. And you could have, you could have been killed and thank God you're still here. What I find so inspiring about you is that you decided that you were going to help other people with what happened to you. So a lot of people don't do that. What, how did you kind of figure out, like, this is something I want to do. I want to help other victims and I want to kind of share my story and I want to start a podcast and I want to become a life coach. Like, I really want to focus on that piece because I say all the time on this podcast, um, you you matter, your story matters, keep going. You know, and and I'm sure you are at times in your life in very, very dark places, but you decided to keep going and share your story and not let this man and this trauma define you. So tell me about that. So it's been a journey. I had to get to a place where I was able to get to a certain amount of percentage healed myself mm-hmm. <laughs> or think I was okay in a sense. And then bring on what can I do so I started the trauma coaching I do one-on-one trauma coaching I will do workshops with um women I'm also doing a Sedona retreat this weekend this upcoming weekend and then I met my partner Collier Landry on his podcast and we just became friends after that and then transpired into more but um we wanted to changed the narrative in a sense because he was able to take control of his narrative and I have not. So that started the podcast, The Survivor Squad, where we have on other survivors to tell their version of the story, their story in their own words. Um, And then we also ask questions, conversate with them because it's important to have conversations around that space and make that change because everybody's thinking about ethical clothes in a sense or ethical consumption of their food and no one's thinking about the ethical consumption of true crime Mm -hmm. no I think it's true I've had several um true like cases on I'm not a true crime podcast by any means but just trauma survivors that you know one story that I comes to mind is a lady that's husband was killed very violently and just the press and people like going to their house and trying to take stones off their driveway. Like, you know, when I say re-traumatizing and this world of true crime, when at the end of the day, I mean, like, let's give an example of a current situation with this Murdoch trial. You know, it's been all over the news and there were two people that were killed and I, you know, I watched the whole thing on Netflix. I don't know if you're familiar with the Murdoch trial with that attorney. I know a little bit of it. I know Kenny, um, Kenny Kinsey. Yes. Yeah. So, so what my point was is that it's like always re-traumatizing the victims. Um, so that's the piece that I think is so important that in, in closing that I really want to share I really want to thank you for coming on I think what you're doing is so so important because at the end of the day we're all human beings you know your story doesn't define you and I think what you're doing is so amazing and I am forever grateful to you for sharing and coming on the podcast so thank you so much Tara where can my listeners find you so much for having me you can find me on any social media platform my name tara t-e-r-r-a n-e-w-e-l-l tara newell um the only place i'm different is twitter tara underscore newell and youtube is tara newell survivor so check me out there and then the podcast is the survivor squad podcast available where all podcasts are available thank you so much in closing everyone be happy by making other people happy Thanks, Tara. Judging Megan with Megan Judge.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.